Welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. I'm Lauren. And oh, dearie gracious, it's another week come and gone, isn't it? Well, I mean, it depends on whether your week starts on Sunday or Monday. Well, I guess for people, for regular listeners of this podcast, and assuming that they build their entire lives around it, uh, I think their week starts on Monday. Hmm. Right, but uh, the calendar goes, well, most calendars go in the U.S. go from Sunday to Saturday. Hmm. Well, I can tell I've dead-ended us. Have you a poem to read today? Um, I, I've been trying to, okay, so, hmm. I've been looking at a few, and I think I'm going to go for the one that's the easiest target this week. Homemade Boat. This boat that we just built is just fine. And don't try to tell us it's not. The sides and the back are divine. It's the bottom, I guess we forgot. And in the photo, not photo, but in the drawing, there are four people. Two of them, I think the water's up to their nose. Uh, There's a sort of masculine-looking one that it looks real pissed, and a feminine-looking adult sort of thing that also looks quite sad. And the boat is a flag that says the whale, and the boat is underwater. I mean, it is an aptly named boat. I mean, yeah, the whale wants to go underwater. Homemade boat. I recall (laughs) walking in just, just down one of the streets of the West End in Vancouver. I ran across a chalk drawing on the sidewalk and there was a a long spanning several concrete you know stones as sidewalks do and it said kayak and a kayak was drawn out in chalk with measurements then further out was a larger chalk drawing and it said canoe with additional measurements and that's the end of the story there, there are some big canoes. I've been in some big canoes, but I've never been in a big kayak. Like I've been in a very large canoes in the Amazon. The kayak drawn on the sidewalk was probably normal kayak sized, mm-hmm. but it's been an age since I've been in any sort of water, and so perception is skewed. Tell us about canoeing on the Amazon. So they had these rather large boats that could fit two people aside per seat. I think except in the very front and the very back and uh the gunnels which are ex- essentially like the rim of the canoe uh were big enough that if you had good balance you could walk on them uh i could not but i have a really lovely image of my partner of the time just like sort of scampering on the gunnels like a monkey <laughs> <laughs> and what was the and which part of the amazon which country was this in it was ecuador wow I was in the black water, so the, the water is very dark. You can't see in it very well. But once in a while, the, the boto dolphin would come up and breathe, and that was really cool to see. Is this story the reason that you chose Homemade Boat? Nope. And why did you choose Homemade Boat? Because I've been thinking about, both for some of the work that I do, but also recreationally, I've been thinking about uh, inflatable versus not inflatable versus foldable watercraft <laughs> the look it, russ is, is giving in, me is like since concerned as if he he hasn't considered there were this many types and also somewhat disinterested well I, I i did not inflatable watercraft is that not a pool floaty 
No, it has more structure. But so an interesting thing with the pool floaty, I mean, the inflatable water, uh, like inflatable kayaks and canoes is that the bottom is the least important part. Like you can fill the sides with air and you do not want to overfill the bottom because if you overfill the bottom, you just are kind of sitting on an inflatable tube and that will tip you over. So the bottom only needs a little bit of inflation, but the sides need a lot. I don't know the first thing about marine engineering, and I'll be the first to tell you that. I am mildly of the opinion that every governing board should include one six-year-old child. And if the six-year-old child is enthusiastic and says this is a wonderful idea, you definitely shouldn't pursue it. And if the six-year-old child can point out significant flaws in the planning you also shouldn't pursue it. Hmm. And I feel like both six-year-old children are jumping up and down when an inflatable boat is mentioned. Like, as far as like a life raft or something, okay, it's last resort. You, the, 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 everything has gone to hell. The boat has sunk. You need a last-ditch effort. Here's the inflatable thing. But why would you willingly subject yourself to this? You know they can make the rubber and such pretty strong, right? The rubber well, I know and the plastic they can, can make be metal pretty, pretty strong, strong too. Well, yeah, but you know, boats are made of a lot of different materials. Like all it needs to do is not pop immediately, and you're good. <laughs> or not pop after five minutes, and you're and you're five minutes more good. Right, but these 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 inflatable kayaks and canoes are very strong. I promise, I am not being obtuse. That this exact moment is the first time in my life I have heard the word inflatable and canoe put side by side. Like, you would have to determinedly take a dagger to one of these. But even if I took a dagger determinedly to a regular canoe, I would still be ineffectual. Mm? You know, like, I can't stab through... I mean, maybe there's someone who I could. I mean, you could get through a fiber... You might be able to get through a fiberglass one. But what about, like, a, a, a good old God-intended metal or wood one? I don't see that many wood ones these days. I, I really like the aluminum ones, but fiberglass is fairly yeah. lightweight, and as long as it's not like impacted in the wrong way strong material to use for a boat i i tend to not like the fiberglass canoes very much just as i have these terrible childhood memories of my friend's canoe with the fiberglass it was like flaking off and would give you splinters in your butt <laughs> and also had holes and it was it was always a little nerve-wracking even as a small child to be in that canoe so your intent is to buy an inflatable boat uh no no, I mean, yes, I would love a really fancy infl inflatable boat, but I don't really like uh, cheap inflatable ones because they're just very uncomfortable. The phrase really fancy inflatable boat sounds like just a meteor of an oxymoron. Well, they are good because they are can be light and you can pack them up. And if they're really fancy, you can put them on your bike or even on your back and carry them that way down to the water. And since I don't have a car, that's really attractive. This is wild to me. I, I, I feel like an entire new world has just been opened before my eyes. Well, I mean, I, th I think there are a lot of niches in all sorts of places. And in the outdoor industry, one of them is, hey, I have to know about inflatable kayaks that you can, or inflatable rafts that you can fold up and put in a backpack. So what would a good price point be on an inflatable kayak? Uh, I mean, you can get like the cheap ones for a couple hundred bucks. Wow, that's just uh, uh, what? Uh. 
those are very I, those are going to be very heavy and require like a, a like a pretty serious pump and those tend to be they tend to be very uncomfortable your center of gravity is very high and you can't go very fast in them so it feels when you're paddling it just feels really ineffectual and so are you looking at a kayak or a canoe or some terrifying catamaran or honestly these are all just speculation i can't afford the couple thousand dollars that i would need to have a high quality one. Oh, i see yeah wow well as with so many episodes this has just been eye-opening i'm sure you have a lot of weird strange niche things that i don't know about i mean they're all nerdy like it's it's all it's, it's just weeb crap i mean i know it's sports but I think knowing about inflatable kayaks is kind of (laughs) nerdy. Well, I mean, definitely it 100% is, but everybody's a nerd about something. I mean, I don't don't have really any much passion behind inflatable boats. I read read an article the other day that was talking about how it was arguing that Lord of the Rings eliminated traditional, like, nerd culture. That sounds like gatekeeping to me. Oh, definitely. But but, but but in, in the sense that... Previously, if you had said, you know, picture it's 1998 and you're like, I'm going to go see the new Iron Man movie. Like, get the hell out of here, nerd. But well, I think a lot of come, people saw that movie, didn't they? Yeah, but then come 2008 and it's long after Lord of the Rings and being a nerd is cool again. And, you know, everybody's into the MCU. Mm. I'm sorry, that's Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hey, mm. uh, whoever that is, I don't even want to bother. <laughs> when you say the word previously, it seems like you're going to like introduce like the montage that shows you what happens on a show right before you go into the current episode. I guess I could, but I'd have to. Previously on Peter Jackson's di- directorial adventures. This week we make armor. We need more nerds to do that. So I uh, went canoeing this week for the first time in a while in a fiberglass <gasps> one that wasn't leaking. Uh, Let's hear about it. It was with the same friend who had the graveyard pizza oven. I was drinking in the middle of the I know, I saw that. I was like, did you just spit out your drink? No, I didn't spit. I came close. <laughs> anyway, so, so so graveyard pizza also has graveyard canoe. All right, on we go. No, the canoe has nothing to do with a graveyard, I don't think. I mean, surely it's been sanctified in some sense. Like, she's probably thrown dirt on it. I mean, it's a canoe. They end up in dirt sometimes. What is the name of the canoe? Uh, oh, it's uh, the brand is called Mad River Canoe. And I don't know if it's Mad River Canoe or Mad River Canoe or <laughs> or exactly what. Isn't it bad luck to, to not name a boat? I mean, a canoe is hardly a boat. Can we name it Graveyard Koi? I'll, I'll, I'll ask if she, if she likes that. Excellent. Okay. Where did we go canoeing? Uh, we went canoeing just up a little bit in Washington. Uh, and I got to see a meganser, which is a kind of duck that kind of sits... Oh, you're smiling as if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I know what a meganser is. They are extraordinarily fast for ducks. They are, except when they have a bunch of tiny babies riding on their back. Oh, I imagine that would hamper the speed somewhat. Yeah, I saw it, though. It was so cute. I've never seen it except in pictures before. I have, uh, I don't think, to my knowledge, I have ever seen a merganser, but I have seen them on YouTube videos, and it's people showcasing their speed. Mm, Yeah, they can get the fuck Uh, out of there real fast if they want. Apparently, they can travel when flying upwards of 80 miles an hour. 
Oh, I was thinking more like when they're in the water and they see you and they want to get the fuck out. They're just like, bye. And it's, you can't really sneak up on them at all. But this one had like tiny, tiny, tiny little babies. And they're, they're very dark colored with like little white spots on them. And they look remarkably from far away, like just light glinting off the water. It was really hard to see them. The only way I could tell they were there is because the light that actually was glinting off the water wasn't moving around in the pattern it should have been. So that's how I knew they were there. And then we got a little closer because the gansers can get the fuck out, but not when they have tiny babies. And we saw them and it was amazing. For anyone who is still, who might have any vestiges of confusion, uh, Lauren is so excited about birding that she will make you by proxy excited about birding. Oh, that's a really nice compliment. I, I recall observing birds with you, I think it was in Stanley Park, and uh, oh, yeah. and you were pointing out to l- literally what every single bird I think was. it was mostly and chickadees like, and towhees. And you're like, that's a red-billed bulgle-bulgle, and I'm like, wow, it I was did a not spotted know that even had a name. In any case, I'm done talking about birds, and especially done talking about boats. Well, all right, then, I will, th- th- then I'll hit my poem. Uh, I was going to do the yippee-yuck today. <laughs> And I, and I recall um, being, I don't know, unnerved by this illustration when I was a child. Because on the, on the page, usually we describe the illustration afterwards, but I'll mention it right now. Um, I, I also like that this guy's jacket is buttoned the wrong way. Like he has, the, he, he has like the traditionally female cut of the jacket rather than the male cut because it's, it's left over right versus right over left. Anyway, I'm sorry, it's, it, it's right over left versus left over right. And uh, he is heavily bearded, wearing a very mismatched hat, smoking a cigar, and a small creature is, is nibbling on one of his bare feet. So, The Yippee Yuck by Shel Silverstein. In the swamplands long ago, where the weeds and mud glumps grow, a Yippee Yuck bit on my toe exactly why I do not know. I kicked... And cried and hollered, Oh! The yippee yuck would not let go. I whispered to him soft and low, The yippee yuck would not let go. I shouted, Stop! Desist! And whoa! The yippee yuck would not let go. Yes, that was 16 years ago, and the yippee-yuck still won't let go. The snow may fall, the winds may blow, the yippee-yuck will not let go. The snow may melt, the grass may grow, the yippee-yuck will not let go. I drag him round each place I go, this yippee-yuck that won't let go, and now, my child, at last you know exactly why I walk so slow. I think the person in the picture might be Shell. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, th- that looks like a self-portrait to me. Yeah, it does. It does. What is the yippee-yuck? Well, I mean, in context of the poem, it's it's that little you know, creature, but in con- but in the larger context, I think it's, you know, anything, any burdensome, anything, I- any affliction that you have, be it uh, emotional baggage you can't let go of, depression, some sort, uh, any kind of chronic ailment. It's, it's, it's just the thing that weighs you down. It looks like a big bean with teeth. Indeed it does. 
But I mentioned at the uh, but before we started recording, I was uh, I was talking about how like I had things that I wanted to talk about, particularly in context of last week's episode. And so in this case, the yippee yuck that I was going to bring up this week was our old reliable friend QAnon. Oh boy, Be- here we go because again. L- because ah, it's last Q week, anon. <laughs> anon. Anon comes Q. I like that. Last week, you taught me about Brood X and how we have been wildly misnaming our sci-fi horror movies because we still don't have one called Brood X, and that's aggravating to me. And how's it going? Like, there aren't locusts here. I mean, cicadas. Cicadas, yeah. Uh, I'm in Portland, Russ. Yes, but you have a family that is not in Portland that is suffering Brood X. Oh. Uh... They're, apparently they're they're like the peak is already over and i didn't hear a lot of complaints so i'm wondering if maybe they bother me more than everybody else hmm. the connection which i could not get enough of was that during a press stop a cicada landed on president biden and this cicada was presumably of Brood X, because all cicadas currently are of Brood X. And apparently, Brood X, or the big broods, emerge every 17 years. Mm-hmm. And what is the 17th letter of the alphabet? Is it X? It's definitely Q. Okay, I was going to say, X seems pretty late in the alphabet to be 17th. And so all, as you can see, all you have to do is just connect the dots and do your research. And this cicada was sent as a message by Q. And that's the current new conspiracy theory. Well, what was happening when I was 19 and then again when I was two? Well, clearly Q is a time traveler. Okay. It is so appreciable. I, I love the cognitive dissonance required to look at that and say, yeah, that's sensible. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, people remember there being cicada swarms in uh, 17 years ago and, you know, 34 years ago. Like, they remember those. I remember them very well. I even remember the one from when it was two. It left, it left that imp- much of an impression on me. All I really remember from the one when I was two is being in a carport and a dog, like, going after them. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I've had the pleasure of encountering a cicada up close one time, and I've and and I, th- that's kind of a lie. Like I've seen loads of cicadas, but like one that I could play with. And <laughs> they love to play, don't they? I did. Well, they this one didn't. <laughs> he, he, of course not. <laughs> he seemed very displeased. Growing up in Texas, I saw their casings a lot, and from time to time, I would hear them and see dead ones. And every now and again, one might fly by, but you know, they're just bugs. And I never, and I don't recall ever having, enjoying a giant swarm of them. But I was in uh, Costa Rica and one of them had happened onto a bar and was hanging out and something was, I guess, was wrong with it because it wasn't running as it one would expect of a cicada. And so I tried to touch it and it cut loose with that cicada noise. And wow, it was amazingly loud. Like this little thing that's the size of my thumb, it was uh, I it, it was a jet engine, and it was, oh, that, it was I know. so tiny and just right next to me. And yeah, millions of them right outside your door. <laughs> Do you know how that sound is generated? Well, I know how it works for grasshoppers. I 
they have like the leg rubbing or something, don't they? Well, yeah, they, they have. Uh, maybe it's crickets, but they. I thought it has to do with their wings and their body. Maybe that's cicadas. Maybe that's grasshoppers. There's like the wings, and then there's the uh, ridges on their body. Oh, theirs are generated through air sacs. Okay, then don't 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 have me say anything at all because I want to seem smart. Let's see. The high-pitched song is a mating call belted out by the males. Each species has its own distinctive song that only attracts females of its own kind. Uh, It allows many different species to coexist. Cicadas are the only insects capable of producing such a unique and loud sound. Larger species can produce a call in excess of 120 decibels at close range. Yeah, you don't freaking say. The apparatus used by cicadas for singing is complex. The organs that produce sound are called timbals. Timbals are a pair of ribbed membranes at the base of the abdomen. The cicada sings. I love that they're using that word sings. Like the the cicada generates ear-splitting noise by contracting the internal timbal muscles. This causes the membranes to buckle inward, producing a distinct sound. When these muscles relax, the timbals pop back to their original position. Scientists are still researching how this apparatus produces such extreme volume. Hmm. Hmm. What were you reading? That was from HowStuffWorks.com. Okay. Seems reliable. <laughs> it's a, As Abraham Lincoln told us, if you read it on the internet, it must be true. Well, do you have anything else to say about the Yippee Yuck? No, it's a, it, it, it's just an applicable poem. Like, anything that's bothering you is the yippee yuck. Have you ever had a, a leech on your foot? I have never had a leech anywhere on me. I've only had a leech on me once. And it was, was it on, on my foot? foot? Yeah, between my big toe and the next one. And what method did you use to remove it? I was a kid and I flailed and wailed until an adult came and pulled it off me. Oh, they didn't do as like I've heard if you pull them off, that's dangerous. It had only been there for, like, a moment. Ah. I don't think it had really gotten into below the skin yet. Gotcha. No, as, but as far as the yip yuck goes, when I was a kid, I read it as, you know, here's a creature that I don't want near me. And now as an adult, I read it as everyone has a yip yuck. I think it might be appropriate also to read the bloth then. So for the poem, the bloth, there are these reeds or grasses that this very dark shape is lurking amongst and all the really you can see of the shape is a fuzzy dim form and two eyes staring between the blades of grass the bloth by shell silverstein in the undergrowth there dwells a bloth who feeds upon poets and tea luckily I know this about him, while he knows almost nothing of me. I don't really have much to say about it. I just thought it would be good to close with. Because I feel it's related to the yip-yuck. Like it's a personal burden of a sorts. This one is just creeping rather than biting you in the foot. But who knows what it would do if it got a hold of you. As a wiser man than myself once said, know thine enemy. Lord has given a shrug. (laughs) It reminds me a little of the creature from Hitchhiker's Guide, that if you can't see it, it can't see you. So all you have to do is close your eyes and it's gone. Or it's not gone, but all you have to do is close your eyes and then it has no idea you're there. 
And now suddenly I'm like flashing back to the Weeping Angels and Doctor Who, and this is about to dive into a whole new brand of nerdy conversation. Yeah, I don't know that we have enough time for that. Well, do you want to leave our listeners with anything uplifting? Baby, my cancers are so tiny and cute.